You're listening to Wake Up Call with Christina Previtt. I'm the CEO and co-owner of New Jersey Divorce Solutions, a law firm located in Edison, New Jersey. I've been practicing exclusively divorce and family law for the past 16 years. Everyone has a story. I interview them. Wake Up Call is an opportunity for you to hear inspiring stories from people who are making hard decisions, overcoming their fears, and living their most authentic life. everybody. You are watching or listening to Wake Up Call, the podcast. I'm your host, Christina Previtt, and joining me today for another episode of the Hashtag FemSquire series is Sabra Sassen. She is the founder and owner of the Sabra Law Group. She practices divorce and family law in New York City. She's not just an attorney and a mediator. She's also an author. She's the author of The Harmonious Divorce, A Four-Step Process to Uncoupling. Welcome, Sabra. Christina. It's nice to have you here today. I can't wait to get into all your business. I'm very excited to be here. And I was just commenting before we started recording how I really love your name, Sabra Sassen. Thank you. Yeah. So kudos to your parents there. They picked a good name. And I wanted to ask you too, if you could talk to us about how you named your law firm, because I think that would be interesting to a lot of other attorneys out there the Sabra Law Group. So obviously you used your first name. So why did you do that? Thank you for asking. Uh, actually, a lot of thought went into it. I, when I first opened my law firm, I went a little boring, went with law offices of Sabra R. Sassen, PLC. Um, and then after a period of years, you know, I heard about and the possibility of selling the law practice. And I never had really given any thought or consideration to that. I really just wanted to own my own business and help as many people as I could. And as the years passed and I started thinking about it, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe perhaps I might want to sell the practice in the future. Um, what can I name my firm? And growing up, I grew up in Long Island and my parents, we used to go out to this pizza place in the five towns and it was called Sabra Kosher Pizza. <laughs> and I, I liked going there because it was my name. So there's not many places out there with my name. It's very unusual. Um, and so I was like, oh, maybe, maybe I could use Sabra. And I went on the New York State Department of uh, State Corporations website, did some search, you know, looking up other businesses with the name Sabra. And there's tons, there's so many businesses with the name Sabra, Sabra Hosiery, Sabra Moving Company, Sab the Sabra Pizza Place I told you about. So I said, why can't I name my law firm Sabra Law Group? It certainly is a name that I can, you know, use. It's used in a lot of other businesses. So uh, hence, I went with Sabra Law Group. I think that's really brilliant. And I think it shows off that your entrepreneurial spirit, that you were even thinking ahead like that. Yeah, it's really important to me to, you know, build build my firm and, and be able to pass it on to somebody in the future. And uh, it's actually really exciting to me, not just practicing now and getting the joy of giving back to people now, but the possibility that this can survive and live even beyond myself. So if, if and when you sell your firm, what do you think you'd want to do? Right now, this is, this is what I'm doing and I love it. Um, I haven't given too much thought to what happens later. Perhaps, uh, perhaps when the world opens up a little more, we can travel. I've always loved to travel and explore um, other cities and places, see how people live. You know, I love going to the museums and just hear 
reading about the history. So I'd love to do that again. And then in terms of what would I do with myself? Because I don't see myself sitting at home and doing nothing like retired. Uh, I, I have to be doing something and on the go. So perhaps maybe a nonprofit or giving back in some way, you know, or maybe finding another business or starting another business that might excite me. Yeah, that's cool. I like that you're thinking ahead though, that of the possibilities that you won't always do the same thing forever. So I just had to kind of dig in there and see if the, you know you had some special desire to be in Cirque du Soleil or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so I usually start out every episode with where did you go to college and what did you think you wanted to be when you grow up? So I would like to start there, even though we took a little detour. I went to Brandeis University. Uh, for college, I knew I was going to go to law school. I knew that my freshman year going in, I had the plan someday to become an attorney. Um, I came from an entrepreneurial family. My father owns a retail business or he had two stores actually uh, growing up. I have an uncle who owns a retail business and a hotel and other things. So I kind of had a lot of exposure to business ownership growing up as a kid. And originally you know, I knew going to college, I had a major in something and graduate with something and law school would be post college, but I didn't want to graduate from college without the ability to work. Cause what if I didn't like law school? What if I didn't like graduate school? So my mother hadn't finished college and she had started her degree in getting a teaching degree. And math was my favorite subject. So I majored in math. I knew I was doing that. And then I minored in education and then I spattered, you know, my schedule with some law related classes that interested me. Um, and so that's what I did for college. So I knew I can graduate and get a job as a teacher if that's what I wanted to do, even though I knew I was going to law school. Uh, for law school, I went to Hofstra. Uh, it's a school in Long Island, Hofstra University School of Law. Um, and I went there because my parents had a baby. <laughs> I was in college. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there's a big age difference between me and my little brother. He's not so little anymore. He's all grown up. Um, but yeah, I wanted to stay home and have a relationship with him because I thought about that too, that if I went to law school in the city, which is where I really wanted to go, I felt that in three years, he wouldn't really know me. He was like two or three. He was very little when, when I went to law school. So I decided to stay home. A, I saved a lot of money. <laughs> I didn't have to pay for, you know, an apartment in the city and just tuition for law school. So I went to Hofstra and I loved it. And I went there for the full three years. So I hear some stories where someone like you was grown and their parents were having another child and they were sort of like, what? <laughs> this this little brat's going to take my place? But it sounds like that wasn't the case with you. Well, I mean, I had that moment for, you know, a moment when I first heard that mommy was pregnant. It was a little bit of an odd thing to get that phone call in college. I remember the exact moment and where I was and uh, when my mother told me and then I came home. Uh, for break. It was over Thanksgiving and she's like very pregnant. I was like, oh my God, there's going to be a baby. And it was so cool to get to feel her tummy and feel the baby move. So, um, so yeah, it's just been exciting. And he's been such, he's been a lot of fun. Like he's been a huge, huge addition to our family. And I just can't even imagine our family not having him in the family. So, you know, that's what we have now. We got three siblings, uh, a sister and a brother. Yeah, I guess that would be kind of weird to be going to college and then your mom's pregnant. <laughs> you could conceivably, you know, you could have been pregnant at the same time. 
there were definitely a lot of looks when I would take him to the playground or take him to the park. You know, people look at me like the young mommy. My mother was joked around about buying me one of those t-shirts. I'm just the big sister, you know. She never got me one of those shirts, but it's definitely a joke in our family. And I love taking him to all the playgrounds and other places to have fun. And I think I might have had more fun than he did. Yeah. <laughs> well, I would imagine too, I love to play with other people's babies, but I don't want one because that's a real serious full-time job. But it's nice to go play with other people's babies. So you kind of got to do that. Yeah, and then you give them back and be like, here, mommy, change the dirty diaper. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going out with my friends. I have to ask you though, how old was your mom when she got pregnant then? Because she, I think, she, I feel like she was ahead of her time. Well, she was 24 when she had me and she was 43 when she had him. But these days, that's so common. <laughs> it is. Right? So Absolutely. yeah, she was sort of ahead of her time. Let's go back to the college thing. <laughs> I'm kind of surprised that you didn't consider going off into med school. Did you? That was never a consideration. I, I loved science when I was in high school. Um, I was a big nerd <laughs> in high school. I was in math leads and math was my major. I scored extremely well in all the regents exams that we take in New York. And um, I, I wanted to study math. Um, which was another issue when I got to college, I went straight to the math department and I told them I'm going to major in math. And you know what they said to me? But you're a girl. I was like, what? Yes. It was crazy. I was like, okay. I'm like, that's a, but yes, I am a girl and I love math and I'm majoring in it. And that actually made me more determined that I was going to do this despite the fact that they said what they said. Um, and there were quite a few women in the, in our math major. And I'm still friends with some of the girls that were in the same program with me. Let me ask you, who said that to you? Was it somebody in, well, I guess they don't have guidance counselors, but academic counseling? It, wasn't, it wasn't a professor. He was like, maybe a teaching assistant or something like that. I forgot. I remember who the person was who said it to me, but um, he definitely wasn't a professor, but he was uh, the teacher there. Wow, that floors me. Yeah, it was kind of crazy. I'm glad it didn't deter you. I, I'm a very headstrong person. When I decide on what I want and what I'm doing, um, and I was, I had it all planned out. I know a lot of people who go to college, they don't know what they want to major in the first couple of years, but I knew, I don't know. I just, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew what my major was. Although I did have in the back of my head that, you know, it could change and that was okay too. But I definitely went in and I had a plan. Well, I can see that about you. I can see you're a planner and you think ahead, hence the name of your law firm. (laughs) So the reason I was asking about the med school thing is I'm sure you've heard the joke that lawyers go to law school because they can't do math. Have you heard that before? I have not. (laughs) Well, they probably don't say that to you because you're good at math. (laughs) So then why did you go into family law? Why didn't you pick something like tax or, you know, something that's really focused on numbers? Funny you should ask. (laughs) So actually, when I went to law school, I had a plan there too, right? So (laughs) I I plan a lot of things, or at least I have ideas and thoughts, you know, of of what I might want to do or what, what is motivating me. So my grandmother had dementia when I was in college. And so I remember when she was in the hospital and the way that doctors would talk with my mom and, you know, the kids and all of us, and it didn't, it felt like they were more treating the patient. They didn't recognize that, you know, even though we're not technically the patient, 
we still need some care and and spoken to in a in some level of understanding. And so that got me really interested in estate planning. I was really interested in caring for the family, making sure the family's going to be provided for, that if there is wealth that people have accumulated, that there's a way that they can preserve it, protect it, pass it on to the next generation. I'm all for paying whatever proper taxes you need to pay. But if there are things that you can do to reduce that. So I was went to law school thinking I would become a trust and estates attorney. And when I got to law school, I was very interested in that. But I also spoke with a professor in the law school who encouraged me to take a basic federal income tax class, tax law class. And so I took it and I loved it. I was like, oh my God, like math, law, this is so great. So actually, while we don't, you know, but we don't have majors in law school, right? You just, you know, you just take classes. There's certain core classes that we all take and then you take other things. So for me, my other things was every tax law class that they offered at law school, I took it. Because I was like, maybe I'll become a tax lawyer or I'll do the trusted estates and now I need the tax law background. Um, But, you know, life has different ways of sending you in different directions, which is more to the story to get to where I am now. Um, Are you ready to hear more? Yes, yes. (laughs) So essentially, so I took every tax law class there was at law school. I then applied for jobs after graduating, studying for the bar exam. And during my studies for the bar exam, I got offered two positions with two solo law firms. Uh, So one was a solo female attorney who did real estate. So that was her law practice. And the other one was a matrimonial attorney. And they both shared an office and they were looking to share me, share an associate. So I accepted the position working for them. And the irony is that that's the direction that my career path went. So I wound up working for these two lawyers doing real estate and family law. And every time I got a matrimonial assignment to do, for whatever reason, I would put it in the bottom of the pile. <laughs> the real estate ones I would put on top and the matrimonial ones I'd throw in the bottom. I don't know why I did that, but I do remember having those moments where that's what I would do. <laughs> yeah, sounds reasonable. <laughs> And so I worked there for a little bit, but then again, my love was tax law. So by the time I took passed, I mean, I took the bar exam and I passed, but between taking the bar exam and finding out that I passed, I got offered a job for a tax lawyer. So what did I do? Of course, I left those two solo practitioners and I went to work in tax law with a tax law attorney in Long Island. And I, while I loved the work, I just wasn't happy there. I wasn't, it wasn't a fit for me in that particular environment. So I only stayed for a few months. Um, and then I wound up leaving and going to another law firm, which was more of an entertainment law firm. And there I got exposure to so many different areas of law, like contract law, entertainment law, estate planning, real estate closings. Um, I didn't realize this at the time, but my boss, he would come out of his office and I would overhear him talking to a couple of the clients that he was talking to. And he would tell them, you take this paper and you take these notes and you go find a divorce lawyer and you tell them they're not to change anything. These are the terms and all you need them to do is draft the paperwork. And I didn't really understand what was going on or what he was doing. In hindsight, I now realize that he mediated the terms of this couple's divorce for them. And he was just so eloquent. He had such a way with words and with his speech. He was so brilliant. I loved working for him. And I learned so much working there. And it's just interesting how my whole career path kind of led me to where I am now, even though 
had no plans or any intention whatsoever to become a family lawyer. In fact, when I was in law school, as apparently a lot of people from my law school go into family law, go into matrimonial law. I didn't know that at the time. And people kept asking me, are you going to become a matrimonial attorney? Are you going to be a divorce lawyer? I was like, absolutely not. I'm never touching that with a 10 foot pole. And you know what they say about never say never. Yeah. Well, I like that saying life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Oh my gosh, that's my life. (laughs) I make all these plans and then everything kind of, but, but it's nice. I have this, my experience, I feel like built upon one another and led me to have knowledge and expertise that really helps me and helps my clients with what they're going through. So it feels like it was just so perfect. Like I couldn't have planned it any better uh, than the experience that I got. It sounds nice that you had that other varied experience. I really only did family law right from the very beginning. I had a little bit of exposure to some real estate and some criminal work because I worked for someone who did those things, but I never really worked on them. Hmm. And I, and in hindsight, I think it would have been really great to have that experience because in family law, when you're doing a divorce, so many things come up. You know, a criminal matter could come up. Domestic violence issues come up all the time. Real estate comes up frequently. Bankruptcy comes up. I haven't heard you say anything about that, but you can't do everything. (laughs) But I think that's really great that you had that experience. And I'm sure that that helps you now when you see these little issues, right? Absolutely. I mean, just my experience, I was very lucky and never wanted to work at those really big law firms. You know, I heard about a lot of my colleagues who did work at the big law firms. um, And a lot of them wound up just doing doc review, doc review, doc review. I couldn't wait to be talking with clients and meeting with clients and really feeling like I was helping people. And so I always worked at small law firms because I got that opportunity. And I really got the chance to learn how to communicate and interact with my clients and find that balance. You know, I I don't know about you when you went to law school, but for me, our ethics professor made it really clear, never give your client your cell phone number. Like just don't do it. And now I find it like my client, my clients all have my cell phone number. (laughs) Wow. You're brave. Do you ever find that people abuse that though? I haven't had that. I mean, I have had some clients send me stuff late at night or on a weekends, but then I'll just have a conversation with them about boundaries. Um, sometimes actually I'm glad that they send stuff. Like recently I had a court appearance uh, for a client of a man who um, they're not married, but that they have two children. And he, he shared something with me about a communication he had with his son and that a it, it just touched me. Like I, I called him immediately. I would never normally call someone so late at night, but it really, really touched me and I got it. And the next day I was able to use those feelings and, and what happened uh, during the court appearance. And I think it really had an impact on the outcome, which was a very positive outcome for him. So I, I don't invite it, but you know, again, if we're appropriate, I'm fine with my clients contacting me um, on my cell phone if they really need me. So you didn't follow your professor's advice, but it seems like <laughs> it has worked out for you okay. Thank goodness. Yes. Yeah. There haven't been any abuses yet, but but I'm a little bit stern. I, I do have boundaries and I make it very clear to the clients right from the beginning what those boundaries are. And And again, it's a two-way street here. We're both in this together and helping them get through a really difficult time in their life. Yeah. I like that philosophy. 
I have to ask you though, when you, when your initial reaction previously to, are you going to do family law was like, no way. Why? What was your perception of family law then? That's such a great question. And and I'm glad you asked it because I do remember why. So on the bar exam, they test family law and divorce is tested on the bar exam. So I took that class in law school because I wanted to be prepared for the bar exam. And I just remember the people that were in the class, the conversations that we had, the opinions. I I mean, I don't like to say it, but a a lot of men still had these antiquated opinions of women and their value. And I just didn't want to be associated or around those types of discussions. It just didn't feel, I don't know, it just didn't feel like something exciting or something that I wanted to do. Now, all these years later, I have a very different perspective on it. Um, again, I didn't didn't look to do this area. I was married a long time ago and got divorced. And that's actually what piqued my interest in doing this area of work. I, I essentially, I don't want anyone else to have to go through the painful, excruciating divorce that I went through. I mean, I had very short marriage. It should not have taken as long as it did. There should not have been so much motion practice in my divorce, but there was. And I'm grateful that it, that the courts were there because I feel like the courts kind of protected me and helped me during that difficult time. So when it's necessary, I think it's great for the, us to have the court system and have that powerfulness, you know, to, to really rein things in and get things done. But I don't think that it's necessary for everybody to have to have that experience, to go through that turmoil and the stress and all the emotional toll that, that comes with it. Well, I'm sure that is music to a lot of people's ears. But I have to ask you and, and just talk about whatever you really feel mm-hmm. comfortable talking about. But what was it about your divorce that had it that way? And then the other question is, looking back on things, why do you feel like there were things that could have been done differently to avoid some of that? That's really great. You know, I, I didn't want to fight with my ex. I remember, you know, before the breakup, like before I left there, we had a moment in the kitchen where he actually said like, we can just part as friends. That would have been great. I actually would have been completely open to that. Um, however, when I, there came a time where I felt I needed to leave and just, I picked up and left and I'm the one that started, initiated the divorce. I don't know exactly what was going on in his mind. I still don't know. We've never spoken since since it was over. I can only imagine that perhaps he was very hurt just thinking about the way that he thinks. <laughs> it might have been a little bit of a blow below the belt to him that a woman left him, that kind of thing. And maybe that's where it came from. But he was so angry and so mean. I had hired a law firm that was very mediation friendly before I even really knew what mediation was. And the law firm attempted, they invited he and his lawyer to have a meeting with us. And if, like a half an hour later, they're escorting them out. I, I was in a whirlwind. I didn't understand what was going on at the time. And I'm grateful for, for the counsel. They really protected me. But mediation wasn't going to work in my situation. I wish that it could have. I would have loved for it to go down that way. But he really put me, or it felt like he put me through a lot uh, during, during that time. In hindsight, I see it was very short, it was six months <laughs> from the time I filed to the, to the time the judge told us, you know, we got to get this done. But at the time, six months when you're 
you know, I think I was barely 30 years old. It just felt like a lifetime to me. I just wanted my freedom. I wanted to be done. I wanted to be finished. We didn't have any kids or property or anything together. There was really nothing that should have been holding up this divorce. It should have been over in a couple of hours, you know, but again, having, if had I not had that quote unquote rough experience, you know, a difficult time, if you want to call it, it was, it was probably the worst time in my life. There were a lot of, uh, there were things about myself that I discovered about myself during that time that I didn't know that I was as powerful or had the ability to handle myself in certain ways. And so that was great because now I got to discover my power. I got to discover a lot about myself and my independence. Um, and I also discovered that this was something that really matters to me and that a lot of people need support. They need counsel. They need help and guidance to get through this process because it is a scary process and there's a lot going on there and you don't know what you don't know. And that's scary. Do you often see yourself in a lot of your clients, men or women? What I see in many of my clients or what I remind myself of is that decision, the decision to leave. I was not married for a very long time. I left after 19 months and even only 19 months in, it was such a hard decision to decide to just get up and leave. I I felt like I felt like we had already melded, you know, like we were like a, a unit. And so all those questions, like how, how, how do we separate? How do, how do we undo everything? Like, I, I, I don't even, I couldn't even tell you. I have no idea. And it took a lot of courage to get up and leave. So I know every time I meet with somebody um, who tells me that they're either thinking about it or they already left, I know that that took a ton of courage for them to get to that point. I take it very, very seriously. Do you ever share your experience with clients just so that they know that I know what you're going through? I've done it. I do to a certain extent. I obviously don't go into too much detail with them, but to the point that's relevant that I do get where I see that, because sometimes I do, I feel like the client sees me like, oh, she's the lawyer and she's, you know, like there's a different, that we're at a different level, but we're not really at a different level. And so, yes, I know a lot. I'm informed a lot. I'm educated. I'm trained, well-trained to advocate for them, but I'm also still human (laughs) and I still hear them and I see them and where, where it's beneficial for them to get that I get them. Yes. I, of course I share my story. I share the parts that that will demonstrate to them so that they know that I really, truly get them. It can be hard when you're trying to counsel a client as the attorney. So you're unemotional because you are not emotionally invested or attached to anything that's happening. You are the professional and you can see that the clients obviously are emotional and and we understand that. We're not asking them not to be. But there does come a time when you have to make decisions and the best decisions are made when the emotion is taken out of it. And I know that's really hard for clients to do. So how do you approach that? And did you experience that yourself when you were getting a divorce that it was hard, even as an attorney, it was still hard to separate the emotion? Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I, my, 
my vision on what I felt was right or what would be a right outcome. I'm a Libra, so I'm all about the scales of justice. But of course, we all have our own definitions of what does that mean? What is just? What is fair? And so I had my own vision of what was just and fair. I wanted the the judge to rebalance all of our quote unquote books, so to speak, and rebalance the allocation of how money was spent. And, you know, obviously that's, that's not the role of the courts and that's not what happens in reality, but a lot of people uh, think that way. I, I get a lot of clients who think that way. So I was very emotional during my divorce. I remember uh, conversations I had with the attorney and it was hard, and, but the, the best advice that they gave me and I give to my clients all the time hire a therapist, go see a therapist, go see a coach, go talk to somebody who can hear you and help you work through it. And it's okay. This doesn't make you wrong or anything wrong with you. If you're seeing somebody, you know, going through a breakup or a divorce is like going through a death, you know, and perhaps when you experience someone close to you or a loved one who passes away, you go see a grief counselor. Why wouldn't you take care of yourself during this period of time? That's so personal and so sensitive. So that was the best advice that they gave me. And I did go and talk with someone who can help me sort through all my emotions and feelings because I was wasting so much time and money talking to my lawyer who's billing me at such a rate as opposed to the therapist whose rate was significantly less. And um, and the lawyer couldn't help me. Like there was nothing that the attorney could tell me that would help me process my feelings and understand because lawyers are simply not trained. We're not trained to do that. I think also too, we're focused on something different. You know, we're focused on the legal aspect of things and getting it done and getting someone the most favorable outcome, which like I said earlier, is is detached from the emotional stuff. I actually tell my clients, no, I can be more effective for you if I'm not emotional. Right. So, so one of the things that I've learned is that people want to be acknowledged or they need to be acknowledged. I, again, I'm not a therapist, so I don't know all these things. This is just from my life experience. So I find that if I acknowledge the emotion, I acknowledge that I heard them, I got it, I understand it. I acknowledge that it's okay that they have these feelings. And of course they're right, you know, and feeling the way that they feel. But then I pause and then I'll tell them the law is the law. Like the law is different. The law doesn't, is not emotional. And I try to make sure that they're hearing me because, you know, when they're in a place of emotion, um, being emotional, they're not going to (laughs) hear the legal part. They're just not. Um, So I find that that it's more effective when I acknowledge them and I hear them and I hear the emotional part and I make it right because it, it, it is right and it's okay how they feel. But then I have to get their buy-in to be ready to hear the law part, and the legal part. I haven't had too much pushback, thank goodness. I mean, sometimes I have some clients that are extremely emotional and sometimes I feel like I never get through them, but then they don't listen to me and they don't go to the therapist, like I say. So, and those divorces will drag on for a while. Those, those are the ones that take the longest because they're not taking care of themselves and they wind up actually hurting themselves because when they're not willing to hear and move through the process, they cause a lot of delays and then their spouse wants to move things along. And so, you know, then it costs them more money because then they're getting this motion and like, why are we getting served with motion papers? And, you know, again, it's like a catch 22. Well, much like your experience, things are always more clear in hindsight, right? 
So they probably realize those things later. Hopefully they don't have to go through it again. Thank you for sharing that really personal experience. So it sounds like you kind of had maybe a little head start when you started your own place. I, I definitely was very lucky. I mean, I had my father, you know, with his retail business, learning how to interact with the customers from a young age. And I've been doing that, you know, since I'm really little, I mean, probably like five or six, you know, literally running around to, to the customers. Do you need a basket? <laughs> I don't know how they, you know, it must've been cute seeing a little kid running over with a basket to help them, you know, until I got older and helped him with buying inventory. And I literally worked every position there was in my dad's store. And so I got to see a lot of running the business. I got to see how to interact with clients. The clients always write, you know, a lot of lessons that I learned all those years, which I think helped me and kind of, I guess, put me ahead of other people, like you said, who decide to, to open their own doors and start their own business because they don't teach you the business of practicing law when you're in law school. That's something, you know, you sink or swim, you know, you figure it out as you go along. Yeah, I totally agree. That's also something doctors complain about too, is that they don't know how to run a practice after they go to med school. So I think they need to add some sort of business management component to the curriculum. So when did you know that it was time to open your doors? That's another great question. So I that I couldn't plan. And I that I left to trust to my gut, like that I would just know. And I don't know if you you probably heard the expression like you have to work 10,000 or 20,000 hours or whatever to become an expert or something along those lines. And I don't know if you have a moment, but I remember having a moment where, you know, when you first get to law school, I mean, you don't know much other than what they taught you in law school and preparing for the bar exam. Like, what do we, what do we know about practicing law being, being a lawyer? What does that mean being a lawyer? And I, I always felt like I was kind of like faking it till I make it kind of thing. You know, I was doing, doing all the things, doing all the lawyerly things that you're supposed to do. But I remember having a moment where I was negotiating a contract. I was on the phone with the opposing counsel and we were negotiating an agreement. And in that moment, whatever words came out of my mouth, I was like, something clicked. I was like, oh my God, I feel it. Like I'm a lawyer. <laughs> it was just like this. I don't know why. It just felt a little different. Something felt different for me. Like I felt like I owned it in that moment. I remember getting letters, you know, from clients saying that they were complimenting me on my work. They were so happy working with me that I did a great job. And they would address the letter to Sabra, you know, but the last name would be one of the partner's last name. So they thought I was a partner of the law firm. And that also got me thinking, hmm, partner of law firm or own my own law firm. So I always felt that someday you know, I would have my own law firm. So, um, you know, I, my dad owned his own business. So why not? Why not me? Why not own a law firm? I think it would be really awesome to do things. I have my own vision. I have my ways of doing things. Uh, what I learned from working at other places is really great. That was their way. And I did it and, and it worked out well, but I had my way. And I also wanted to be able to pick and choose what clients to work with. You know, I wasn't always happy work, working with some of the clients that the firm had. And so I, that I'd be able to cherry pick, you know, my clients at the beginning, not so much now a little bit more, but, uh, you know, certainly it's been, it's been an evolution. Yeah. Well, it sounds like the universe was really grooming you towards 
having your own business, just all the things that you're describing from the time you were a kid. Because you go through life and you do all these things and some of them are small things, but some of them are big things, you know, like big accomplishments, like finishing law school and passing the bar and becoming bar admitted to your state. And, you know, there are accomplishments that I think a lot of us don't, we don't really give ourselves credit. Like when do we really stop and give ourselves credit for accomplishing those things? Right? Absolutely. And celebrating them. I don't know. Growing up, I remember whenever we had something, usually it was dinner, <laughs> dinner, or maybe ice cream cake or some way of celebrating uh, certain milestones. But there wasn't like this like big wish, this like lots of excitement. And and it's just nice. You know, I certainly have met people who really know how to celebrate. And I'm like, wow, like I would love to celebrate like that. Like they buy balloons and like make a whole big thing about whatever their achievements were. And that would be an amazing thing for me to adopt at some point in my life. Um, I'm trying to, to bring more enthusiasm for those moments. And I certainly catch myself sometimes, especially when I when there's a win for a client, you know, especially when there's so much on the line for them and I get a win, like that happens to me, I kind of alluded to it from last week. I will get out of my seat and jump up and down. I'm like, yes. You <laughs> and should. then of I call the client and just be so excited and so happy for them and just share in that joy and make a big deal about it because it is a big deal. And so it's just great to bring that. And it also makes my life more fun and more interesting um, and more exciting. And just to continue having that passion for the work that I do, because it hasn't left me and I can't envision it ever leaving me. I know some, a lot of lawyers say they don't enjoy the practice of law, but I'm not one of those lawyers. I can't say that. I, I love what I do. You're lucky. A lot of people don't love what they do, whether they're lawyers or not. There's so many people that don't love what they do. So I, and I'm glad to hear that you're celebrating those things. We we should all do it more. I mean, think about how we celebrate everything that a toddler does, right? I mean, they so managed to get their fork to their mouth. It's like, yay! <laughs> you know, we talk and then you take a million pictures. <laughs> we all talk in the high-pitched baby voice. I don't know why people do that around kids and dogs. <laughs> but, you know, we should kind of treat ourselves like toddlers. You know, like what when you do something big, you know, if you manage to get to the gym that day, you should give yourself a little clap for it because we're, we're so good at doing negative self-talk, right? Like, oh, you know, why don't I look better? Or, you know, how come I'm not thinner? Or why didn't I go to the gym? Or why didn't I do this or that? But when, when is the, where's the positive self-talk in there? Absolutely. Right? I agree. Like, why aren't we celebrating all of the milestones, all of the things that we do? Because they are a big deal. Rather than dwelling so much on the negative, I don't have this, I don't have that, or this didn't happen or that. Well, other things happened. <laughs> Can't we sell, find something to celebrate? And so, you know, I love that. There are some, you know, I'm, I'm Jewish. So with the Friday night, we often get together for a Friday night dinner. And I've been to a lot of other families' homes and how they do it. And some families, they will have a moment where they'll go around the table and everybody has to share something fun or happy or exciting that happened to them that week. You know, with all the things that happen in seven days, there has to be something that you can celebrate. Um, and while I don't do that in my family, I think it's a fabulous thing. And, and I love that you identified that and brought it up now, because if that's something I can continue to add into my life and other people's lives, and they can be inspired to, to take this on, I, I think 
perhaps more people would be happier. Yeah. <laughs> the world that we live in. We only have this, uh, you know, everyone says you have one life to live, but no, you have a lifetime to live. You only have today. And so why not celebrate today? Find something to celebrate today and every day. I love that. That's very quotable, Sabra. <laughs> I, I'm going to make a little point. Nobody's ever that. said that to me before. Yay, I have a quotable now. Yes. <laughs> I love that. Yes. You know, Len, you have those lovely flowers behind you. I, I mean, how often do you buy flowers? Maybe you buy them every day. I don't know. Lately, actually, well, I moved to a new place a few months ago and I've actually been making sure I have flowers around in my apartment. So every week I buy myself some beautiful flowers. I go with something multicolored like this, or maybe there's like tend to like pinks or purple. So, you know, I just something that brightens up my home. And it's so nice to come home and see that. Yeah. So I want to encourage all the women out there and, and guys too. Hey, you guys might like flowers too. Just a, a, something with a nice pop of color. It makes you feel happy when you see it. Do it. We, we should all be doing that. So I agree. <laughs> yeah. So th- all right. So I'm going to get off that soapbox. Okay. So then tell me how it went down when you did actually start the business because so many lawyers experience a lot of distress when they're leaving their old firm, because I'm sure you've heard stories. I don't know what your experience was, but you know, they get kind of upset sometimes when you're leaving. Sure. Yeah. Mine was a little bit unusual, but again, like I said, everything seemed to have been pushing me and leading me in that direction. And actually I was working in a real estate firm. I was um, working of counsel to a real estate developer at the time. And I loved working there. I liked the work that I was doing, but it was very high stressful environment. And there was a stressful event that happened and, I, and it happened in front of a client. And I'll never forget, like after that happened, I didn't realize the client stuck around. <laughs> um, but he, he was the one that planted the idea. And I was like, you got to get out of here. I'm going to help you. And um, he tried to set me up on a few interviews to look for other positions. And I wasn't happy with the offers and other jobs offerings that were out there at the time. And I wasn't sure how I felt about working there any longer. And then I said, well, maybe now's the time. Like maybe now, maybe I should look at office space. So I started looking at office space and found something. And so they had available office space and they had secretarial stations. They already had a lot set up there. And so it would just be so easy. And so I decided what have I got to lose? I already at that point was divorced, living at home with my parents. So what's the worst thing that can happen? If it wasn't going to work out, I would just still land on my feet someplace. I had the support of my family if I needed it. Uh, I was very lucky in that regard. And if I couldn't make it, all right, so I'll apply for another job. I'll work as an associate someplace else. And it, it was just the timing. The timing felt right for me. Either it's not much for me to risk or lose it was an opportunity for me to leap, to jump and just give it a shot. And so I'm sorry if I'm a little fuzzy on the timeline. So at that time, you had said that you were more inspired to practice divorce and family law after after you had your own divorce, but you weren't divorced at that point, were you? So I was divorced at that point already. So I already had been divorced for about a year or so at that point when I started my firm. And I wasn't even thinking about divorce law at that point. I was doing real estate, 
you know, a lot of the work was all real estate closings, a little bit of estate planning. I didn't do too much of that, but I did a little, I dabbled a little bit in that. Uh, but the primary area of my focus was on residential real estate closings. And so I was doing a lot of that work, you know, seeking out commercial work, you know, t- to represent people and buying and selling commercial property. And then my mother found an article in the local paper saying that describes all about taking a 40 hour mediation training. And if she had got shown that to me before I had ever gotten married or divorced, I don't think I would have entertained the idea. <laughs> but having marriage a marriage or no, a, a, or a, mediation. A, mediation, a mediation, I don't think I would have entertained the, the idea of it. And so again, I still wasn't connecting the dots of mediation with divorce, but you know, I had started my own law firm. I don't have a full practice clearly, right? So it's not filling up so much time. Uh, and so I had the time, I had 40 hours of a week to give and dedicate to the training. And so I took it and the instructor was like, you're natural at this. You need, we need you in this community. You've got to continue your training. So I took several different trainings and different areas like people in need of supervision as the pins and they had other types of training and then they had a divorce mediation training and in that training there were a couple of guys that we liked mediating and practicing with one another we decided to open a business together so I was like all right I'm gonna see I'll have a law firm and I'll have a mediation practice uh, where I can wear my mediator hat um that didn't work out so well because I was the only one doing any work to like bring in business and you know, create the name and everything else. And literally the other two guys were, well, when you have mediation clients, give me a call. And I'm like, well, that just doesn't work like that. (laughs) Like if we're going to be in partnership together, it doesn't exactly work like that. So, um, so then I decided, no, 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 I'm no longer going to work with them. I'm going to just add this to my law firm that these, this is an additional service that we offer. And it started out that I was focused solely on representing people in mediated divorces. It's all I wanted to do. I didn't want to do any of the litigated divorces. I wasn't even open to that. So I only mediated divorces for several years, you know, until I wanted to update my website (laughs) and I hired a copywriter who created copy for me for my website. I read it and I'm like, this is not me. Like, what are you, what are you doing? And I forgot exactly. He he was a very smart uh, copywriter, but what he did was he wrote out a whole beautiful page describing that we can mediate your divorce. And then he talked about how we'll go to court and like, you know, go litigate too. And I'm like, but I don't do that. I don't want to do that, but you have to, he would tell me you have to. I'm like, why do I have to? But that's what people are expecting. You have to do it. So we had this whole conversation and I was very resistant to it and not interested in it. And again, as you said, like, it's interesting how life has set me up for all these different things. And so I never used his copy for my website. I created my own thing. And I wound up getting some phone calls from people who weren't interested in mediation, but who didn't know how to communicate well and who didn't know how to express themselves well. And they really, truly needed an advocate. And their spouse had already started a divorce proceeding and they had a lawyer, so they needed a lawyer. And I was like, oh, okay, but it, it doesn't sound so contentious. Maybe I can do this. So that's how it began. So I started representing people who needed a voice, who needed an advocate, who needed someone who knew the law and who can help them 
you know, counsel, advise them so they can make decisions in the outcome of their divorce. And I was very lucky. Most of those cases all, it was, it was not necessarily, it was friendly, but at least I was dealing with attorneys on the other side that were willing to negotiate and resolve. And as the years went on, I got more and more complicated cases, which then gave me more and more experience, you know, with motion practice and even a trial. So, you know, I've kind of done the whole gamut at this point from mediated all the way through a trial. And it's been a great experience and I actually enjoy it more than I thought that I would. And um, I'm glad I didn't just pigeonhole myself and leave myself in that one little, you know, area of mediation only. Yeah, it, it sounds like that was fortuitous. Like I said, life is what happens when we're busy making other plans. Yeah, well, I love your evolution. And it sounds like you're not really attracting the highly litigious couples that, you know, the war of the roses types that just really just want to litigate and want to fight. Am I right about that? That is correct. And, 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 you know, that's, that's great, you know, for people who want to do that and that's their avenue of that they need to do that. But I, I come from a place where I, I really believe my clients are smart, you know, and when I say that, I, I really mean it. Like they made a smart decision when they decided to get married. That was the best decision that they made, you know, at the time that was something that they both wanted, whatever happened during life, they grew apart or things happen or I don't know, whatever people's individual situation is, sometimes a chapter has to close and a new chapter has to open. And I also believe that most people are good at heart. Like we we're all have this goodness inside of us. And maybe there's that negative, you know, not so great stuff that gets stirred up when it's mixed with the wrong, in the wrong environment, right? So there's, there's, People, you know, probably you, Christina, as well, like you may feel that with some people, you you get along great, you could have easy conversations with them. And then other people are kind of like, uh, it doesn't feel so, so easy. Um, and sometimes it happens in relationships. But I think that because people are kind and good from their core, I think if you can tap into that, that most people who are, who decide that their marriage is over, they can do it in an amicable way or in, as my book is called, a harmonious way. You know, that's that's where I'm coming from. And that's where I start from. That I think that there is kindness and goodness. These two people once loved each other. They loved each other so much. They committed their lives together. Sometimes they created children together. So they have a bonds there. And I think that can be a source of strength um, and, and a source from which you can use that energy to help the couple get through get through this period of time. Very well said. I totally agree a hundred percent. And that's a good lawyer right there. That's oh, thank you. It's true because I really feel that when someone's getting a divorce, it's really a family in crisis that I always say that that's the way that I look at it. It's yes, it's a legal proceeding, but at the heart of it, it's not really a legal proceeding. So that's where the, the tricky balance in what we do comes in, right? Is, is balancing our, advocacy and our um, legal knowledge with the emotions mm -hmm. and helping people through that. I think it's always better to be mediation-minded and settlement-minded than, I don't know, war-minded, you know, like thinking we're going to go to court and we're going to be forceful and aggressive and we're going to file motions. Although there is a time and place for that, I don't, I don't personally think we should start there. I agree with you. Absolutely. It, it, no, nobody wins when you start 
going to court. You're never happy. This judge who doesn't know you, that's how what I tell my clients, like, he doesn't know you. She doesn't know you. Maybe they woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Maybe they had a fight with their spouse. And now you're asking them to try to understand you and your situation and then tell you what you should do. Yeah, I, and I even, agree. And even if they do, like you're in a grown adult, you're grown, grown up. Like nobody, I don't know. I, Ever since I became a grown up, I don't like to be told what to do. So. I didn't like to be told what to do even before that. <laughs> Just ask my mom. <laughs> so, so you mentioned your book, Wonderful Segue. I was just about to get into that. The Harmonious Divorce, a four-step process to uncoupling. Tell me what inspired the book. Yes. So I get a lot of phone calls, you know, from people who are saying, I want to get divorced or I just can serve the papers. And they, they immediately are looking to lawyer up, you know, the traditional sense, lawyer up, go to court. And over the years, I, I, I would always ask a follow-up question. Like, do you, do you know that you have a choice in how you get divorced? And then that oh, it usually gets silence. Like, what are you talking about? And so I would then go into a whole thing, you know, explaining to them that they have a choice on how to get divorced and explaining the different ways. And I was doing this over and over and over again. And so I decided, you know what? As much as mediation has been around for so many years, I think it's close to 40 years at this point, maybe even longer. <laughs> and so it's been around for so long, but it's still so unknown. It's still so unfamiliar. I think because of the media and court, uh, you know, not just courts, but court shows and TV. I mean, they have Judge Judy and you have Law and Order and all these other programs. It's still such an unknown, like it's still such an unfamiliar. And so I felt that there was a void and people it needs to be known like that. We just need this information. People don't have the information for whatever the reason is. And so I decided that I was going to write a book and tell people about it or send them a copy of my book and let them read about it and let them decide for themselves. How do I want my marriage to end? Um, how do I want to say goodbye to my partner of X amount of time? And if it resonates with them and it feels right for them, why not? why not give it a try? And if it's not right for you, because again, each person who decides or each person who goes through a divorce, they know their circumstances. They know their situation. They know what's fair, you know? And so if it's not right, if they're in a dangerous situation and things like that, and they have to go to court, they have to do it, then great. That's there. That's available. Nobody's taking that away. But if people aren't aware that there is a you can be nice. <laughs> you can have a conversation. There can be a discussion. There can be, you know, what you want, what they want, and reach some happy medium that everybody can live with. Why, why not give that a try? So I talk about that in the book. I love that. And you're right that those are conversations that we have with every client. And I think putting it out there for the rest of us, you know, for the rest of the world that maybe doesn't end up in your office is great. I would love to see people um, pay less attention to the way divorce is portrayed in the media. And I love that you said that because I always wonder where does this perception come from that divorce has to be so ugly and so disrespectful and people have to be, like you said, just mean to each other. Mm -hmm that they can't just be nice and respectful and kind to each other when they're getting a divorce. 
I don't mean to make it sound like we should all be holding hands and, you know, but yeah, yeah. But, but we definitely see the very nasty side of things. And I've always wondered, you know, why do people feel like they need to do that? Um, I don't know what the answer is. I, I do think what you said, what we see in the media and the way it's portrayed has a lot to do with it. But I would love to see divorce have less of a stigma or no stigma associated mm-hmm. with it. So people can feel like when they're not in a situation anymore, that's good for them, that they can feel comfortable leaving. And, and that brings something up for me, the way that you just said that. Um, I, and I have this conversation with my mediation clients. So any couple who meets with me, once we reach all of the decisions that they made in their divorce, I then have to have a very unusual conversation with them. I literally have to ask them who's going to be plaintiff and who's going to be the defendant. And they just went through this many hours of discussions where they're cooperating and working together to reach a decision in the outcome of their divorce. And now I'm asking them who's going to be plaintiff and who's going to be defendant, who's going to be against who. And it's a really awkward conversation. I would absolutely love to see that we can make a petition to the court that this couple is petitioning the court to grant them a divorce, to grant an end to their marriage. Um, the same the way they apply together to get their marriage license, perhaps they can apply together <laughs> to end the marriage. Well, that would work for the people that have a settlement, but I agree with you. You know what? You're right. There is a lot of noise for people around who's plaintiff and who's defendant. I've seen people say, well, I don't want to be the plaintiff. Mm. You know, because they feel like they're it's etched in history forever that they initiated it. Why can't it be like an adoption, you know, in the matter in the matter of a divorce between yes. A and B? Absolutely. And I think that should be available, that option to be able to file that way together. You know, it just feel especially for those people who opted to mediate, it definitely would feel better for them to do that, even though from a legal perspective, it doesn't matter who's plaintiff and it doesn't matter who's the defendant. It doesn't make one person wrong or right or better or worse. Um, and they're just a divorce. It's kind of like saying I'm pregnant. You can't be half pregnant. It doesn't, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing to be pregnant, but you're pregnant. So here you're divorced. Frankly, I, I, and I use this all the time, this example, I said, when was the last time you asked someone who told you that they're divorced did you, were you the plaintiff or the defendant? Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard that question. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know why that matters to some people. Maybe I'll have to dig a little deeper when the next time it comes up. The book, it'll be available on Amazon. Um, I know it'll be available in Kindle and paperback form, and I'm really, really excited about it. We put a lot of effort into it. In fact, we built a separate website dealing with the book. There's a lot of like freebies and things like that, that we created like a whole video series and a former client wrote a chapter for the book. So that's in there. So um, I'm really, really excited. I feel like there's there's a lot that can come out of this and and getting the word out there to, to the public about, about this other option. Excellent. Well, I hope I can get a signed copy. Absolutely. You don't for even when, have to request it. <laughs> for when you're famous one day. With that name, Sabra Sassen. Thank you. Really, I'm serious. I love that name. Tell me what the links are. Send me the links when you have them because I'd like to include those in the show notes for people that are listening or watching and they can easily find it. So 
Whenever they're ready, just email them to me and I'll add them to the show notes. Thank you. And I like to end each interview with a little bit of a Proust questionnaire. Okay. Have you ever done one of those? I have not. What is that? Okay. So I totally stole it out of Vanity Fair magazine. If you ever come across a Vanity Fair magazine, the last page is always a Proust questionnaire with some celebrity or public figure. And they didn't make it up. It's a series of questions. They're supposed to be really basic, like, what's your idea of perfect happiness and things of that nature? And it's supposed to reveal your true character. Oh, wow. Okay. So don't get scared. (laughs) I might just make a few up. I I have a huge list of them and I just kind of pick a few, but I think it's really fun. Nice. Exciting. Okay. So let's start with that one. What is your idea of perfect happiness? (laughs) Hmm. That's, that's a great question. To me, I don't know if there is such a thing as perfect happiness, but I definitely think that happiness is something that you choose. Uh, and it's about accepting who you are, accepting where you are. Um, I think it's great to have desires and wants that you want more or want something different than what you have. But if you dwell on it, that can make you miserable. And I don't know about you, but I don't like to be miserable. (laughs) I generally have a very happy disposition. Do I get upset at times? Absolutely. But I don't, I don't sit in that for a very long time. So I, I, I'm a happy person. And I think it's because I, I go through that process and I come to a place of acceptance, accepting what, what things are and what they really are. And if I don't like them, guess what? Miss planner. (laughs) I'm going to map out a plan to get what I want. So, you know, to me, that's happiness, just accepting where you're at. I like that. I have to ask you though, you don't have to answer it if you don't want to, but (laughs) I know you have a plan. Okay. There's no way you don't have a plan. Can you tell us your plan or any aspect of your plan that that you could share? In terms of what? In terms of my life? Life. Yeah. (laughs) So. I don't know. I have a, I have a lot of wish list items and I'm working on them. Sometimes I feel I don't work quickly enough on them because I'm so focused on the here and now, like this book. This book has been a work in progress for a while and I'm just so excited so that it's done and formatted and getting out there. Um, I mean, I have other dreams of, of becoming a mother. Um, you know, I have ideas about how that would happen and being married and I love being an auntie to, you know, my niece and nephew and stuff. Uh, and certainly traveling. I have a a lot of plans and of course, building up my nest egg for my retirement. So all of these things I'm working on, I guess I kind of look at them as little projects, but I'm, you know, moving all of them a little bit forward, a little bit at a time, kind of like a race, but I'm not just focused on one thing. I'm focused on, you know, all of them at the same time. Yeah. Juggling a lot of balls (laughs) in the air. Where's one place you want to travel to? Oh, only one place. So I'm sure there are many, but like, what's at the top of the bucket list? Well, one place that I was like saving for something really special because I wouldn't want to go this place alone. I've always wanted to do an African safari. So that's something that sounds really really cool. Love to do. I love animals, and so yeah, that's something that I would absolutely love to do. That sounds nice. Okay, what is your greatest fear? like greatest fear? That's a great question. Not achieving that my goals, not achieving the things that I want, um, you know, failing and then feeling like a failure. Um, but 
I don't know. Somehow I know that I'm going to achieve them, but, but that is a fear. The fear is not, not, not having or getting the things that I want. You are not a failure. You could never be a failure. Like that. You could never be a failure. That, that ship has sailed. It's not <laughs> happening. When and where were you happiest? Was there a moment that you can remember or mm-hmm. just a, a time in your life? Just so, so many moments. I mean, there's so many times when I was my happiest. I mean, uh, even though the marriage failed, I mean, my wedding day, I was so happy. Like that was a really, really happy day. Um, graduating from law school, paying off my final <laughs> law school loan payment, you know, uh, my car payments, that, that was exciting. Um, you know, experiences of being in love or feeling in love and just being with somebody that, that you're loved by. Um, and then even recently, like my last birthday, you know, during this pandemic, which is crazy, uh, I went out with a few girlfriends and one of them said that everyone at the table needs to say something special about me. And that just made me feel so good. Um, that, that was really special. So I, I n- never had anyone, you know, a group of my friends sharing, sharing what they loved most about me. It was so nice. I think that's really nice because we we love our friends, right, and our family, but how often do we actually tell somebody, mm-hmm. I really love this about you? We just kind of assume they know we love them, <laughs> yes. but, and hopefully we tell them, but how often do we actually tell them, you know, I love this particular thing about you that's really special? Absolutely. I think that's nice. Absolutely. I think I'm going to start asking people to do that for me on my birthday. (laughs) It was so unexpected. She just brought it up. I was like, I almost like, no, no, don't do it. And I was a little resistant because I I don't like, you know, all the attention on me, but it was really nice. I I enjoyed it after all. Well, maybe that could become a birthday tradition. What is your most treasured possession if you have one? Um, hmm. you know, my mother passed away a couple of years ago. Um, so I have a few pieces of her jewelry and, uh, I definitely enjoy wearing it in the right time. Or sometimes I'll just wear it alone at home <laughs> mm-hmm. just to have her close to me. So just something like that is very special to me just to have a piece of her, um, you know, and just, I think, yeah. I think that's the most important or prized things, or just, I even have things that she gave to me. And when I wear, it just makes me, you know, feel connected with her and, and her love for me. So. Well, I'm sorry to hear that you lost your mom. I'm sure she's very proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. That was a tough thing, unexpected. And uh, yeah, just, um, you know, one of those things, again, you don't think you're going to get past it or through it. And, um, obviously never, ever forget her, not for a moment, uh, not a day goes by, but, um, you have to come to a place of acceptance, you know? And, and so that was something when I lost her, I thought I would never, ever be able to be happy again. You know, like yeah. happy with her not being here. So that was just like a very strange thing. And I honestly didn't think I could ever, I didn't think I was allowed to be happy, you know, because she wasn't here. But then I, of course, realized that she wouldn't want that for me. She wants me to be happy. Yeah. She wants me to experience everything that life has to offer. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting how life evolves. 
I remember one time I asked somebody who many years ago, and I hate looking back on the way I asked the question because it seemed horrible looking back on it. But I, she had lost her husband. And I asked her, you know, when do you get over it? Like, how do you get over it? And, you know, she was very kind in the way she answered it. She said, well, you don't get over it. You just learn to accept it and you learn to live with it. And, you know, that's all you can really do. Mm -hmm. That is very true. Yeah. So I, I, looking back, I was horrified in the way I asked the question, but she understood what I meant. Mm -hmm. And it really put things in perspective for me. Okay. Last question. What actually two, if I could ask two. <laughs> okay. What quality do you most admire in another person? And what quality do you most deplore in another person? So those are the two questions. Okay. The most important quality to me is, well, I guess it's two. It's like one is listening, you know, listening and hearing me. And the other one is integrity, you know, really honoring your word. If you make a commitment or say that you're going to do something to actually follow through and do it. And that actually is like the opposite, you know, for the second half of your question that someone doesn't follow through with the word, even to acknowledge it or just say, I know I promised you X, Y, Z. I couldn't honor that. I'm very sorry. If they don't do that, I lose a lot of respect for them. And I find it really hard to, to like have that trust in them that they had before. I'm with you on that. Well, Sabra, this was such an incredible discussion. I feel like the time went by so fast. Oh my God. Is it really so much time already passed? Yeah, it's 4.09. No way. (laughs) Well, I enjoyed it. I hope you had a good experience too. I did. Thank you so much. Right. Well, thank you so much, Sabra Sasson. I just had to say (laughs) your name one more time. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Christina Previtt. Thank you for listening to Wake Up Call, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to know more about me, you can find out more on my website, christinaprevitt.com. And be sure to sign up for my newsletter where I talk about everything that I'm reading, learning, listening to, doing, basically everything that I'm obsessed with right now. Follow me on social media. Look up Wake Up Call, the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you'd like to be a guest on Wake Up Call or there's someone you'd like to hear on my podcast, please email me at wakeupcallthepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you and see you next time.